Hey guys, this is Matthew Pfeiffer with MattPfeifferCoaching.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Toxic to Triumph. A couple of months ago, I saw a meme that said toxic mothers are just as bad as absentee fathers, but you're not ready for that conversation. I disagree. I think we are ready for that conversation, and I'm looking forward to that, having that talk today with you. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Anne Bona. She's across the pond in the UK. We're going to be talking to her about her experience with a narcissistic mother, a malignant narcissistic mother. Looking forward to having this talk with you, and I will talk to you soon. Hello, everyone. This is Matthew Pfeiffer. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Toxic to Triumph. We have a great show for you today. I'm looking forward to the show. I've been trying to get this woman on for a few weeks now. She's all the way from the UK. We have Anne Bona here with um, The Invisible Story, uh, My Invisible Story. I'm sorry. She's the host of her own podcast as well, My Invisible Story. You can also find her on Instagram, Overcome Hers as well. Uh, so, Anne, thank you for joining us. And if you want to just uh, quickly introduce yourself, and we will go ahead and get started. Hey, Matt. Oh, so good to be on. I'm so, you know, happy that you contacted me because obviously we've been talking back and forth on Instagram. Um, so I'm really happy to be a guest. Um, so my name's Anne Bona, as Matt said. Um, I'm a mother of four gorgeous children. I live in London in the UK, and I'm a trauma recovery coach uh, specializing in narcissistic abuse recovery. Um, in the past, um, I've experienced my own fair share of emotional, physical and verbal abuse, uh, both growing up as a child and also going up into adulthood. So I experienced it firsthand. Um, I also coach and I teach. So it's not just by theory. Um, what I've experienced, the hardcore life experience is what I use to help others uh, overcome narcissistic abuse. Um, and most importantly, I help women to rediscover their authentic selves because when people have been through abuse, they often lose who they really are. I think that you, you brought up an important point um, because I know that some, some people, including myself, work with both men and women. However, you, you are specific to women, right? Yes. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we, one of my favorite movies is um, Batman. Batman. Um, I believe it's the Dark Knight Rises, the one where where um, where they have Bane uh, as the villain. Right. And uh, I remember one time Bane. Uh, you know, Batman. Whenever he tries to fight people, he always wants to fight people in the dark. Mm-hmm. And he was fighting Bane, and he knocked out all the lights. And he said to him, or Bane said to Batman after after kicking his ass, you know, you you adopted the light. But I was, or you were, you adopted the darkness and I was born into the darkness. 
And when we talk about narcissistic mothers, I feel very much the same way about that. I feel like that saying, that phrase that he said is very fitting to people who are raised in a, in a narcissistic, with a narcissistic parent, period, but in particular with a narcissistic mother. Mm. When, when did you first discover that your mother was narcissistic? Uh, well, I didn't know she was narcissistic because I didn't really understand what that was at that age. That came much later on. But I knew she was abusive. And that was probably when I was about seven or eight. I started to recognize it because, like you said, with the Batman example, when you're born into it, it's like you're born into the darkness. You don't you don't know anything else. So from a very young age, it's what I thought was normal up to around seven, where I just thought, no, this is not how other people are treated and obviously being out and about and in school environments and being around friends you could see that people operated differently especially mothers so it was around that age about seven or eight did what did you what did you notice a lot of times I when I'm talking to uh, my clients Mm -hmm. I talk to them about the difference between uh, their instincts and their intuition Mm -hmm. where your instincts are or in your head you know, or, or what you're thinking about. But with narcissists, obviously they play so many mind games that I, I talk to my clients about the intuition and feeling what they feel in their body. Did you, do you remember or having, do you remember having any of those experiences with your mother at that age or was it, or did you have those experiences older? Yeah, I, I definitely had the intuition. Definitely. Um, um, it was always there, you know, just a, like an undercurrent that, um, it just wasn't right. And the treatment wasn't right. And um, like I said, I experienced um, other people's environments. And, um, you know, it's like every morning, I remember I used to wake up as a child and just have this feeling, you know, this feeling of dread, like Mm -hmm. a child shouldn't have that feeling of like, I, I remember I used to think to myself, would I even survive that day when I'd wake up in the morning as a child? So, um, I always, you, I think as a child, naturally, you do have that intuition, don't you? Um, because a mother's meant to be nurturing. They're meant to protect you. And when you're not receiving that, then you, you know as a child that something's not right. You know, you pick right. up on it quite quickly. I can imagine that if you're waking up feeling that dread, I mean, mm. you, you have a caretaker, caretaker mm. that is supposed to obviously be taking care of you that's causing this dread right mm-hmm. so I, I i imagine that this caused a lot of anxiety for you oh tremendous amount of anxiety i remember um i used to tremble you know as a child and shake and and this this carried on from when i was young up until when i went into school um terrible anxiety um constantly uh, aware of my surroundings, social anxiety. Um, even in school, I used to have uh, panic attacks as well. So it definitely started that whole process for me of, you know, the depression and the anxiety, definitely. Did you know that these feelings, I mean, obviously you said, you know, once you were seven, but um, did you realize, did you put two and two together that these feelings were coming from your mother or did you think that they were separate? from her behavior or her actions? Um, at, that, at that age, I wasn't really sure. I wasn't mm-hmm. really sure. I didn't put the two together. I don't think at that age. It was just that I was just reacting. 
and um, I was ex- experiencing something and I couldn't understand what it was I was experiencing. I couldn't put a name to what I was experiencing. All I knew is that this was happening over here in my home life. But yet when I went out into a different area, this is the response, you know, from, you know, those behaviors I was experiencing at home. And this is how I'd react um, when I was outside of the home. But I didn't really put those two together at that age. Here's what I think is actually really scary about uh, narcissistic mothers, uh, narcissistic caretakers. I'll say narcissistic caretakers because this can apply to this part can apply to fathers as well. But when you're when you're a child and you don't know any better, you don't even know who to ask or who to talk to about these feelings. Mm. Right? Like you just said that you didn't even notice you 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 weren't sure if you were going to put two and two together. You know, who would you like at that point, like, are you going to talk to another six or seven year old or, you know, I, I can imagine that, you know, at you at some point in time, you'd feel very lonely and isolated. Yeah, you do. And, and it's quite interesting because at that age you can have suicidal thoughts, but you don't know they're suicidal thoughts. You just have a thought where you just don't want to wake up. Those are the things that you can experience at a very young age that people probably are not aware of when you have that kind of torment yeah, in your life. Even adults right now, um, you know, have those thoughts where you don't want to wake up. That's considered a, uh, clinically, that's considered a, a passive suicide, mm. suicidal ideation, you know, yeah. versus where you actually have a plan in place where it's like, well, I don't want to actually cause physical harm to me. I just wish that once I go to sleep tonight, I just don't wake mm. up the next day, you know, mm. which, you know, um, which is really sad to think about, but, um, a lot of times it, that's when someone just doesn't really have an understanding of where anything is coming from. Exactly. Yeah. And as a yeah. child, you don't, you don't have that understanding. And um, for me, um, it took me about a couple of years later on, what I did was I needed an outlet because, you know, if you suppress those feelings, it's going to come out some way. And right. for a lot of people that comes out in, um, you know, mental health issues, drugs, alcohol, anything trying to numb down the pain. But for me, what I found myself attracted to was writing. So what I'd do is I'd get a just a, a old diary I remember I had, and I used to just write exactly what I was feeling. And I used to write it out and I used to hide it under my bed. But that really helped to process, you know, the emotions. And it was my way of talking to something not someone but something and getting those feelings out rather than letting them just kind of stay in and bubble up into something well, I don't know what could have happened I think that uh, the relationship between a narcissist uh, with between a mother and a daughter is always unique anyway but it's very unique when you talk about a narcissistic mother and an, and a daughter mm. um, tell us a little bit more about that um, what what were some things that you, obviously you, you experienced, you know, some, uh, some physical abuse. You mentioned that already. What were some, some other things that, some other behaviors that you saw from your mother? Um, I experienced a lot of name calling, a lot of names that you shouldn't really know as a young child. You don't know the meanings of them. You have no idea what they are. There was a lot of name calling, a lot of verbal abuse and um, jealousy, um, a lot of camp comparison. So, for instance, if there was any inkling that I thought that I looked good or I was beautiful, she would come down on me hard. Like, for instance, one day she shaved my head completely, like shaved it like a buzz cut. So to me, I'd look in the mirror and think I was ugly or, or look ugly to other people. Um, 
also, as I said, there was a physical abuse. And there was one incident in particular, you know, there's always one thing that that really, really stands out to you. And for me, it was an instant where by, I remember I was in my bedroom and she was just having one of her moments, like she was just going for it, um, verbally abused. And she was trying to enter my room. And um, at this point I was being quite vocal and I stood up for myself and I was saying to her that I hated her and, you know, and leave me alone and just go away. And after a certain point, she went really quiet. So I opened my bedroom door because it was a bit suspicious for her to just lock off her behavior just like that out of the blue. And as I opened the door, she was standing there in the hallway with this orange bucket we used to have in our bathroom. And she threw this bucket, what was inside the bucket at me. And within seconds, I knew it was bleach. Oh my goodness. So she'd thrown a whole bucket of bleach mixed with water in my face. It was in my eyes, it was in my mouth, it was everywhere. And I remember I had to claw along the walls of the house to get to the bathroom. And then I had to just rinse myself off with water. And for me as a child, I think that was one of those moments where you're just like, okay, <laughs> you know, I got to get out of here kind of thing. So it was those kind of things that were quite harsh. And to top it all off, um, my dad, when he was living with us, he also faced the abuse as well. So I saw abuse with my siblings, with myself, but also with my dad. And it was, you know, reversed. People usually see abuse as a man abusing a woman, but here was my mother abusing my father. You, you brought up that. Hmm. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. You, you, you bring up a, a good point uh, that, that I would like to, that I was actually going to go to anyway, um, especially now that I know that she was abusing your dad, because the men I speak to when they mm-hmm. are abused, um, you know, they can be, I mean, obviously anyone can be abused in multiple different facets, whether it's legally, um, emotionally, physically, or um, even financial abuse. Yeah. Um, the men oftentimes talk about the stigma Right. Because the, just like you said, the perception is, is that majority of men abuse women and it's usually not the reverse. And a lot of men talk about whenever they do share their story that they're not believed. Right. That mm-hmm. um, and, and usually a lot of times the, the people will give the woman a pass. And I'll even say for, for myself as as an example as well, I remember I, I experienced something. And when I talked to someone about it, they said that, you know, that I had to have done something to cause her to piss her off that you know to that level right Mm. not realizing that you know they didn't realize that a woman can be narcissistic as well Mm. i imagine that that same stigma could hold true with a mother as well you know did did you do you remember or did did you have any type of experience when you started to share your story of people saying giving her a pass because it's your mother or anything like that um not really i hid it for a very long time um I hid it for a very long time. So I wasn't really vocal about it um, with regards to my mother. I kind of just went through it and um, did what I had to do to, to heal from it. And I addressed it directly with her, you know. Um, yeah. As for, as for my, my father's side of things, as you were saying with men, that is absolutely the truth. And for my father, I think it was even more difficult for him because, you know, if you looked at us from the outside, we were this perfect family. We lived on this, you know, one of the most popular roads um, in London, you know, typical of narcissistic fashion, right? 
that's right. My dad was a, a, a GP with a private practice and a practice mm-hmm. covered the whole of the area. My mom was a lawyer. So we looked really perfect on the outside, you know. Mm-hmm. So for him, there's no way that he could have come out and spoken about that kind of thing. Right. You know, there's no possibility that ever there wasn't any possibility of that happening. So he had to hide it. And um, I do come across quite a few men, again, who do contact me once in a while on social media who are facing this issue and they do explain exactly what you've said whereby people don't believe them or they think they're crazy and um that's why i'm glad that there are people like you out there who who are men who are who are talking about these issues and not hiding them making men feel like you know you can talk you know it's not a one-sided thing it doesn't just happen to women it happens to men too users aren't always always men sometimes a lot of the times they are women but that's not something that's actually um it's too taboo to talk about right now Right. Right. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can change that. People like you and I can change that. Right. Right. Yeah. So we, uh, I, I noticed that I know that it's very common for narcissistic parents and our narcissistic mothers to treat siblings very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, did you experience that at all? Um, I, I would say so. I mean, we all have our we all quite strong personalities. Um, there are four of us and I have mm-hmm. one brother. So um, my sisters, obviously, they were older than me. I'm the youngest. They, the issue was they were in boarding school um, before me. So they bought some of the abuse, but then they were in boarding school. And then I was the one that was left behind. So before they went to boarding school, they did experience it, but um, not at such an intense level um, because it, got, it just got, got worse as we got older. So... For me, I think it was probably the worst out of all of them um, because it was like I was isolated. And as you know, narcissists, they love to isolate you, make you feel like you're on your own and there's no one that can help you. So that all you do is take in all their projections. And um, so for me, I would say it was the worst for me, I'd say. Yeah, because I was on my own with her and I became her focus, basically. Uh, my siblings, yes, they did. They were treated kind of differently, but only up until they went to boarding school where they were actually a bit safer because they were away from the home. So you eventually forgave your mother. Mm-hmm. But take us through that process. Take us through that that road. Um, not only of forgiveness, but, uh, you know, I, I typically encourage people that realize that they are with a narcissist or, dealing with a narcissist to either go no contact or low contact. Did you, did you have, did you find yourself needing to do that before you came to the crossroad of forgiveness or what was that, what was that road like to up until you, you were able to forgive her? Um, I definitely had to go no contact for a while. So we didn't talk for a couple of years and then I had a family. So um, we got in contact again and the relationship was, you know, still uncomfortable, but for me, it got to a stage whereby I almost became immune um, to her abuse or her way of speaking to me. Um, And it didn't affect me anymore. So she lived with my grandmother. So I'd have to go and visit my grandmother, meaning I'd have to see her as well. So I would just wander in and, if she had anything to say to me, it would just go one ear and out the other and it wouldn't affect me. So I went Greystone um, 
completely unemotional. And um, that's how I dealt with it. I think I was able to be around her, but not be affected by her anymore. And as much as she didn't like that, for me, it was the ideal situation because then that kind of helped me take the next steps to forgiving her. And, you know, and I think for a lot of people that have been in those kind of relationships, they don't like to hear the word forgive because, you know, that person hurt me. How am I going to forgive somebody that hurt me to that extent? And why should I? But the, I think the most important thing I realized was if I didn't forgive her, I was holding on to bitterness, hatred. I, I couldn't heal with that stuff inside me. I could not heal. So for me, it was more about forgiving myself and doing it for myself, not particularly for her. It was for me to be able to heal and recover. And by doing that, then I can extend the same to her. When, when I talk to my clients, I often tell them, that forgiveness is a part of your healing and a part of your journey. But the perception is, is that if I don't forgive them, I'm able to hold on to the power, right? But mm. it doesn't make you any, any more powerful. It, it actually makes you weaker because you're holding on to, like you just said, the bitterness. And you're, mm. not, you're not truly moving on with your life. Mm. Um, but it, it, but I, I like what you said that, you know, you were able to forgive her, but in essence, you were, uh, uh, you said that you built an immunity, but I, I take that as that you, were able to enforce, keep and enforce your boundaries, right? And you right. just didn't allow for her to hijack those emotions like she was able to do in the past. Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. Yep. I put those so, boundaries in place. Yeah. So, so um, in terms of the actual practical application of your healing, you know, cause it sounds like you did a lot of work, you know, in that time period where you were in no contact and, things like that what what was that process like what 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 did you do um well obviously I had to seek therapy very important um I went through a stage where I tried to do it on my own it didn't work because as you know as a therapist there are things that you cannot see within yourself you need someone outside of yourself to say to yourself to say to you you know these are things that you need to address and things that they can pick up for you that you can't pick up on because you are so traumatized so um, I had to go through a therapy route and um, I had to also go inside myself and, you know, look at those internal wounds and that wounded core and um, address those issues as well. And I had to also be able to know who Anne was because growing up in that kind of environment, you have to understand that you don't actually know who you are because from the very beginning, you were kind of molded into something that wasn't who you were naturally meant to be. So I had to go for that period of um, rediscovering who I was. And that involved also self-love as well, self-acceptance. So there was a lot of inner work and a lot of inner child work as well, especially inner child work that I had to do and um, journal writing as well, which is very powerful, kind of releasing um, those stories and those feelings and things would come up that were so hidden because you, you know, Matt, as a therapist, that you can have um, amnesia whereby the brain shuts off certain emotions because you, maybe you can't handle them. Uh -huh. Well, that's what happened. And I think with journaling, it helps you kind of release those emotions in a very safe way so that you can kind of say, okay, this was what was down there. This is what I need to address. 
in order to really heal properly. So those are the, those are the kind of things I did to heal. I really love what you said about going internally because mm-hmm. so many people, uh, at least people I have talked to, and I know people make the mistake of trying to heal the external, thinking that it's going to heal the internal. And it's mm-hmm. actually the reverse. And quite often, at least with people I talk to, I can't, you know, I don't want to speak for you and your clients, but um, people don't want to look inward because uh, I was talking to someone today. They, they were like, well, that, that's the part that hurts. And I was like, well, yeah, because that's the part that needs healing, you know? Um, And so I really like the fact that you, you're talking about, you know, going internal. I think it's, um, I mean, not only critical, but very vital to, you know, to what you're doing. What Mm -hmm. now walk us through, there's always for every give, there's a take, you know, when you have, when you come from a, when you come from a happy, healthy family, you typically, roll forward and create a happy, healthy family of your own. It's not a, it's not co- a coincidence. A lot of times when someone has a, a healthy family, you know, either they've done some work on themselves, which it sounds like, which obviously you've done some work on yourself and, you know, are, are living a very productive life now, but I can't imagine that you had that experience as a child and it didn't affect you or impact you as an adult whatsoever. Mm. Oh, no, it definitely did affect me because uh, going from that situation and remember, I didn't have any counseling. I didn't have any. No, there was no input whatsoever from anybody. So I had to deal with that stuff by myself as a young child and going into my teenage years and going into you know early adulthood. So those those things weren't deal, dealt with. They were unhealed, you know, wounds. And what happens is when you don't address those things, you take them on into your relationships. It's only natural that you do. And it's no surprise that I entered into a relationship with a narcissist because I was brought up with one. Uh, My internal dialogue was um, of not being worthy. Um, My self-image was all over the place. I didn't love myself. So when someone came along, um, as you say, narcissists, they feed off people who are empaths, shall we say, who are kind, gentle, but also they're attracted to people that don't know those things about themselves and they know that they could take advantage of you. So I got into a relationship with a narcissist and in a way it was a, it was a, it was a negative thing, but I look at it now as a positive thing because that also helped me address the issues that were still withstanding within me, you know? Right. Absolutely. From all those years ago. So I see it as a blessing, not really a curse, um, because it helped me to take me to where I am right now. All of those instances, I don't regret them because it's it's made me who I am today. You know, it opens, it opens your eyes. And I mean, you're, you're obviously you're now a wounded healer who's able to, you know, heal others who are sharing, sharing a similar experience. So, you know, I agree. I mean, I, at one point in time, I, I couldn't stand what I've been through. But, you know, after you process everything and once you, you know, complete that, I don't even say complete the healing because I think we're always healing and doing some work. Um, but once you get to a certain point, you realize that it was actually a blessing in disguise. Like if it had not happened, you would have continued on with life as a person without boundaries, without um, saying no, someone who just allowed for people to take advantage until, you know, who knows when. You know, that's so that's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think it's critical because you do you do so much work. And I think 
you know, people go on with life by default. And when you've been through these kind of things, you're forced to go inside of yourself and deal with those things that, you know, you don't want to deal with. And it makes you a better person at the end of the day. And I think, you know, going back to what we were saying about um, going inwards, uh, people not liking it, we have to understand that we played a part in that relationship. And there's a reason why it happened. It wasn't just a coincidence. So that's why it's so important to be open to accepting that and saying, okay, what was this trying to teach me? What do I need to learn from this this situation? Or what was this relationship trying to teach me about myself? Right, I could not agree more. Mm. Um, now, so what is the best way? I, I think this was great. I think, um, you know, this interview was, was great. I think it's going to help out a lot of people. I know, at least on my caseload and people I talked to, deal, a lot of them deal with narcissistic mothers. And so I appreciate your time. I know they're going to appreciate your time as well. What is the best way for people to reach out to you, get in touch with you, you know, see your work and, and those sorts of things? Well, the best way to get in touch with me, a lot of people get in touch with me is via Instagram, actually. Um, my handle is overcomers. That's overcome, O-V-E-R. C-O-M-H-E-R-S, Overcomers, on Instagram, and also on my website, myinvisiblestory.com. So those are probably the two primary places you can get in contact with me. And you have a wonderful podcast. I know you're on Twitter as well. That's actually how you and I bumped into each other. I don't know if you're still active on there or not. That's right. Sort of on Twitter, yeah. But I think Instagram's probably the the best spot. But um, yeah, Twitter's okay. And um, yeah. But Instagram, I'd say, is my number one spot <laughs> to get in touch with me. <laughs> All right. Well, Anne, I appreciate it. Um, if I don't talk to you the rest of the day, you have a wonderful rest of the day. And stay safe. Keep a mask on. Wash your hands. All those sorts of things. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> and once, Thank uh, you, once, all, once all this stuff lifts, you know, hopefully um, one of us can cross the pond and, you know, maybe hold a conference or something along those lines. Oh, that'd be amazing. Thank you so much, Matt. It was so no great problem. talking to you. You too. Keep your head to the sky. Spread your wings wide. Show the world you can fly, baby. Show the world you can fly. Show the world you can fly, baby. Dream big. Keep your head to the sky. Spread your wings wide. Show the world you can fly, baby. Show the world you can fly. Yeah. Show the world you can fly. Dream big. Keep your head to the sky. Spread your wings wide. Show the world you can fly, baby. Show the world you can fly.